when I was thinking about this last week, I thought, wow, I have one of the most meaningful and weirdest jobs on the planet. Uh, I, I love it. it is, it's, it's meaningful because I get invited into some really great moments in people's lives. I get to be a part and to know all of these kind of different people, but I get invited into uh, to be there for weddings and baptisms and um, all that kind of stuff. But even, you know, hospital visits and even getting to have memorial services and remembering people who have passed. So I get to be there when people are excited about their faith and take steps toward being, uh, having faith in Jesus or for them being a greater part of a community of Jesus followers. All of that is really great. It's also super weird because there are days when I go from like brainstorming about uh, theological topics to like cleaning some something gross off the sidewalk, right? So those things, both of those things happen. Um, uh, so being a, lot, being a pastor is a lot of things, but it's definitely not boring. I will tell you that. It's definitely not boring. And it is a privilege for me. I'm so thankful to get to be here in Simi Valley at, at this time and in this place. I just, I really love it. Yeah, thank you. I'll tell you, there was kind of a wrestling with God as I was taking a step toward being a pastor. You know, so I've only been a lead pastor for a few years. We lived in France before that. Uh, but I, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to do this because being a pastor, sometimes when I thought about that, was a bit scary. And, and it wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the planning, anything like that. It wasn't managing budgets. All that scared me. I thought, I've got some experience on those things. I can do that. Do you want to know what scared me? It, it was the things. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the feedback. You know, it was, it was the fear that, that the culture around us is changing so quickly. I thought, I don't have answers for those things. I don't know if, if I'm the right person who can have the ability to unlock things for people. I thought I wanted somebody who was smarter and uh, more thoughtful, more creative, all those things. Somebody who is more than me to be able to unlock all of those things and help people to take a step of faith in that direction. And if you were hoping that I was that person... Uh, I am sorry to disappoint you, uh, uh, but here's the thing. I, I'm pretty sure that you also don't have the perfect solution to some of the big societal problems going on. You don't have them ready in your mind. You might feel a bit dismayed or upset, disoriented, exhausted by some of the rapid changes taking place in our society. It might make you angry and resentful at times. You, you might feel worried for younger generations trying to figure out how are they going to navigate the world. And uh, in an increasingly secular society, you might even wonder, hey, uh, is, is it going to be harder for me to be a person of faith in the future? If any of those things resonate with you, you can understand why I had some trepidation in taking that step to, do, to be a pastor. But I want to tell you one thing. is that In the midst of that, I have hope. I have hope. And, and my expectation is that we are not going to leave this morning thinking that our best days are behind us. We are going to leave this morning thinking God is doing something new, and we get to be a part of it. And it's exciting. So I'm really hopeful for what is ahead in our church and for the gospel in our community here in Simi Valley. So, yes, I had been reluctant, but I think something has changed in me, even the way that I feel and approach to that. And it's not that the challenges around us have gotten any smaller. They have not. What changed was how I viewed what God was going to be doing in me and through me to face those challenges. God, I believe, is going to show up and help us to meet those challenges, if we're willing to do it in a bit of a spirit of adventure. 
I think what God is, is doing is utterly consistent with his character. That God is somebody who does new things. And today is the second part in a two-part series. We start, kicked it off last week with a guest preacher, Tim Bushra, who is here. And he told us that we should know that God is doing something new, but we shouldn't tell God how to do it. I liked that. So we know he's doing something new, but I oftentimes have a little program, and I'm like, God, this is how I want you to do that thing. But instead, that, what Jay said, the Holy Spirit moves and sometimes takes us in ways that we didn't expect, maybe not even what we wanted. So it should not surprise us. Because the reality is that humans have always faced new challenges. There have always been new things that have come up. They, we can't always see around the corner ahead. And so we, we have these things, the new things that come that are a little bit exciting, but they're also a bit scary. And because that's been a part of the human story since forever, uh, it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible is going to help us figure out how to have some relevant ways to engage with scary big things, huge changes and an uncertain future. If you feel like you are feeling that there are uncertain, there's an uncertain future and big changes, I think Scripture is going to help us. And what we're going to see in our passage today is that in the face of these new uncertainties, our past experience of God's faithfulness and his goodness is actually going to propel us, not, not, not make us stay there, but to propel us to face those things and embrace adventure. Uh, so if last week we talked about expecting God to do something new, today we're going to move from, from expecting God to do something into boldly stepping into it. That's the idea. What we're going to see in our passage today is that when we can't imagine a path, then we go on the adventure of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we, help, we ask you to help us this morning to, to explore your word and... Uh, help us all to take a bit of a step of faith today. To believe in the spirit of Pentecost that you are alive and well in our hearts and in our world. And you haven't stopped. That, it's, it's, that you want to transform our world. You want to transform our lives. May we believe, if even in just a little bit more, a bigger way, that you are at work today. Help us to do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are going to be looking at Isaiah 43 today. It's that passage that you just heard read in a lot of different languages. Maybe not your language. If you speak another language, we would love, I would love to hear it in your native language as well. All right, this is in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 14. So what I'm going to do is instead of reading through the whole passage, I'm going to go just kind of bit by bit, travel through it. Verse 14, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. Well, at the time that this chapter was written, the Babylonian Empire, they were the big dog at the park. All right? They were the ones who pushed everybody else around. They were the ones who had conquered the Assyrians. They were the ones who had conquered uh, the kingdom of Israel. And so they were, um, and Judah, I think it was the Assyrians got Israel, they, they conquered Judah. But um, everyone basically was afraid of these guys, all right? So they were an unstoppable force in the world, and nobody could stand up to them, and they just felt inevitable. You're not too afraid of the Babylonians today. I just want to remind us of that. Sometimes it's helpful to remember the thing that they were really afraid of is not really scaring you today. But here... God is going to say through Isaiah that a day is coming when even the Babylonians themselves were going to be fugitives, that they were going to have to 
to run from somebody else. So the, the Babylonians were big, but something else, and God himself was bigger. Verse 15, God says this, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. So, so the, the truth is that God's people, they have had their eyes on their enemy when they should have been having their eyes on God, their king, their creator, all along. So you and I, a lot of times, you know, we have, we've got problems. We've got problems. And what happens when I have a problem, I can't think about anything else but my problem. And I've got my eyes on the problem. And it might be a big problem, but I've got my eyes on my problem. And I, I, these things are big, but I will tell you, God is bigger. Our Lord is bigger. He is the Lord. He's the Holy One. He's the Creator. He's our King. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, when you hear this, if you don't, if you don't have a lot of Bible history, you just think that is a weird thing to say. But if you, if you are familiar with the story of the Exodus, when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, some of those images are going to resonate with you. You know what he's talking about, this way through the sea and the chariots and horses. Because what God is doing is he's having them look back on the past. This is stuff that, that they should have known. People, their people, this is part of their story. He's saying, look at the past. In this past, remember, God brought our people out of Egypt. And when he did it, do you remember that Pharaoh's army pursued them? And they were able to go through on dry land. But when Pharaoh's army came, what happened? The water came back in and all the chariots and horses were engulfed. That's what he says. He made a path for you through the waters, but then the chariots and horses that chased after you could not. God parted the seas for them, but the, the attackers were engulfed in the waters. And it's this amazing moment in God's people's history. It's important. But then he says this, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And we know about deserts, right? Uh, to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And this seems a little bit confusing at first because God is the one, he's the one who brought up what he did in the past. He's like, hey, let me remind, remember all the things that I did in the past. Well, don't think about the past. Right? And you're like, wait a minute, what the, I don't understand. Um, he, but what he has done is he's brought up this, this the defining moment of God's people. When, when he brought them out of slavery, he gave them the law, and he brought them into the promised land. This is, this is the defining moment of Israel. And so he points to that point in history. He's like, this. And then he says, forget the former things. And it would be a little bit confusing by itself. But he clarifies by saying, do not dwell on the past. Uh, there was this one Christmas, I was, I think I was about 18. And uh, we were doing kind of the normal Christmas morning thing. Uh, in my family, we have an egg bake. We don't call it a quiche. That would be, uh, we're a lot of guys, so it's an egg bake. We have that. Um, and so... Um, we started to uh, open presents and do all that kind of thing. Um, I am the oldest of five kids, 
And uh, so you can imagine there, my parents were very generous, and there tended to be a lot of presents. Even if each kid just got a few, there's a lot of presents under the table uh, or under the tree um, that are there. I'm, I'm all trying to stir it up. Um, so, uh, but I, I'll say my mom was pretty good at trying to make it fair. You know, she tried her best always to do that. My dad did not buy the presents. He was just as surprised on Christmas as we were at what we were opening. Okay. Um, but um, on Christmas, you know, in the beginning when you're a kid, you get, uh, you know, you get toys when you're little. You get kind of like video games when you're a bit bigger. And you get some gadgets when you're maybe a teen, something like that. And um, that sort of stuff, right? So here's the thing. O- on this Christmas, um, I'm sure that I got like a new pair of socks or maybe like a new pair of pants. Of course, that's what we get. It's great. Um, I watched as my brothers opened up their toys or video games or gadgets or whatnot. And I started to watch the, the pile of presents under the tree start to dwindle down. And I was kind of feeling like I haven't really got my fair share. Because I had socks and I had pants, but they had video games and gadgets and whatnot. And I should have known what a few presents meant, but I was too immature to kind of put it together. I should have known that when you get a few presents, that tends to mean that there's something really good at the end for you. But I was too immature. I was too focused on what past Christmases looked like. Because I know what Christmas looks like, and there's kind of a fair amount that you get. And because I was expecting what I had gotten on past Christmases, the narrative in my mind was that I was being forgotten. I remember, I, oh, I was so hurt. I thought that they had made a mistake and that and they were forgetting me. And when all the boxes were gone, at the height of my self-pity, my parents pulled out one small box. And in that box, they, they, they proudly walked me outside to see a, a kind of beat up, but still very clean, and my own new used car. Okay? I, I can just imagine the thought and the sacrifice that my parents had made to get me that car. Uh, it was going to be my own Their excitement must have been building the whole time, right as my fears were building. But because I was dwelling on the past, I could not see what was ahead for me. I should have forgotten the former Christmases and not dwelled on the past and realized that something maybe new was happening for me. Because if I had truly known my parents' character, I wouldn't have thought for one second that I was being forgotten. I don't know how I could have thought that I was being forgotten. Not for one minute could I have ever been forgotten. And the truth is, when our life is really hard, and when we face scary things, all we can think about is what we were expecting. This isn't what I expected was going to happen. Because I, I know what I had before, and this isn't what I was expecting. But if we truly knew our Father's character, our Father in heaven who loves us, we would know that we could never be forgotten. We could never be forgotten. Forget the former things, he says. Look, I am doing a new thing. Hold off on that slide. Don't tell him what's ahead. Yeah. All right. Writer Barry Webb, he tells us, he reminds us this thing. Um, that there are two options when we're considering the past. The past can become this idealized world, the good old days, 
into which we retreat, and the future becomes a possibility too frightening to face. Or, he says this, it can be a springboard from which we launch ourselves into the future with new strength. So Barry Webb is saying, hey, we, we, we can either retreat to the past, and when we do that, we make the future scary. Or we can say, God has been faithful. God has been good. That gives me hope to face maybe what's up ahead. And, and boy, you know, we should, we should remember that our, the people who came before us, just imagine the scary things that they've done. Even just here in this church, to, to, to build, to choose to buy this property, to plant a new church, it must have been so frightening. But for us, we as God's people, we are rooted in the past. Our roots are in the past, and we are never separated from that. But our faith is today's faith, and we are called to bear fruit in today's world. So we're supposed to press out and bear fruit. So today is Pentecost And we celebrate on Pentecost that we are equipped. We are people who have God's spirit in us. We actually have the power of God, the presence of God in our lives as believers. And it helps us to face uncertain times. And it's super important for us to bring this verse about God doing a new thing and then putting it next to this idea of Pentecost. Because that felt super new for the believers in Acts 2. Uh, But it also helps us today because it realizes that we we can plant in our minds this idea that we live post-Pentecost. We live in a time where when we face the uncertainty of of our times, which is totally normal, we feel scared. But we do that, when we fear what's ahead, we do that still with God's presence. We feel fear because we, we know that we're inadequate for the task. And too often that's because we're just relying on our own human resources, thinking that we're the ones who are going to have to pull it off. We fear because we don't know what's ahead and we know that we are weak. But God does know what's ahead. And God is strong. And if you love Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what the story of Pentecost, that the Spirit of God dwells in you, dwells in us. So we are going to need to believe that. And we're going to need to think that God is doing a new thing because I'll tell you, we are going to need to know that God has not left the building. Because in this moment, we are going into a part of our future as a country, as, as believers, where there's, there are no maps. Nobody can tell us how to navigate in that place. We're going off the map. We're going into the wilderness a little bit. And the things that came before aren't really going to necessarily be able to help us have a clear idea of what's going to come next. All right. We're going to do two things, um, two points for us to think about. When we can't imagine a path, we're going to go on an adventure of faith. So when we can't imagine a path, uh, in our Isaiah passage, God is preparing to bring his people back from exile. Now the people are looking to return to their land, and uh, before them is this great desert between them and going back to their house. And it's a, it's a wasteland, a different wasteland. This is not Egypt part two. It's a different thing. It's a new thing. And, and the people can kind of imagine what's over there. They, they can say, hey, I, I want to go back to my safety. I want that kind of stuff. But I can't imagine a path for me to get there. Does that resonate for you? You can imagine what it would look like, but you can't imagine how we're going to get there. Do you feel like there's some path in front of you that feels impossible? That is what happened to Lewis and Clark. 
Um, I don't know if you know the story of uh, Captain Meriwether Lewis and his close friend, Second Lieutenant William Clark. They were sent as an expeditionary force in 1804 to go explore a passage from the Missouri River into the Pacific. They were trying to find a, a water route for trade. And so they were sent for that. And their writer, Todd Bolsinger, he makes this really great connection between this expeditionary force and the task for us of believing today. Lewis and Clark, they set out believing that they were going to paddle up the Missouri River and then grab their canoe and walk down, walk for a day or whatever, and then find another river and then continue canoeing down the other side of the mountain range all the way to the Pacific. They thought that what was out west was what they knew back east. They thought what was ahead of them was the same as what was behind them. They thought that the mountains that were coming up were the same as the Appalachian Mountains that they found behind them. But what did they run into? They ran into the Rockies. Okay, they ran into the Rockies, and people had told them, listen, this is no, this is no camp, bud. This is going to be something. Uh, they ran into the Rockies, and you know what they needed to do? They needed to forget the former things. Because if you think you're going to be going across the Appalachians, this is a whole different ballgame. Nothing in their experience to that point had ever helped them to get over this obstacle. They, in their whole lives, they had never encountered the Rockies. They grew up in America in the east. They, they, don't, they don't have pictures of the Rockies, right? You and I, we grow up with, like, pictures of all this. So we know what that looks like. We got John Denver, right? <laughs> but they didn't know what was there. A mountain high. A mountain high enough? Yeah. Um, um. So they thought this was going to be a canoe trip. But what Todd Bolsinger says is he says, you can't canoe the mountains. You need a new plan. And what they needed to do was to forget the former things and embrace an adventure. And that's what we need to do as a church. Point two, we need to adventure in faith. When, when Lewis and Clark encountered the Rockies, their mission hadn't changed. They still had a mission to accomplish. They were supposed to explore and find a passage, but what had to change was their method. You can't canoe anymore. And you and I, we see the challenges that are looming up ahead of us in our world, and there is no Google answer, chat GPT answer, for how to face these challenges. We're going into territory where there's no map. But our mission hasn't changed. So the question is, what are we going to do? Going back is not an option. I, I, I want to tell you, we have to make a decision as a church. Even as, as individual believers, we need to either adventure or die. Because that's all that we've got. And, and that's scary. It's scary for all of us, but we need to go on an adventure. Because our mission hasn't changed. Our church has always existed to, to worship God in his glory and to love our neighbor. Our mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself up in humility for us so that we may live. That is different than any other message out there in the world, that we don't have to earn our way to God. It's not about us trying to get enough points, but God is the one who came to us and died for us. So we, we can compassionately and creatively now serve the world in that abundance. So that mission hasn't changed. The, the way that we do it as a church looks a lot different than 60 years ago when they were starting this church, I'm sure. 
they were able to do some things that we can't do. I saw an article from, uh, I heard about an article in the, New, in the LA Times that um, I guess in 1963, around the time that our church was getting established, they would publish Bible studies for people to read, like Bible readings. Um, so LA Times, publishing your list of Bible readings coming from Hollywood um, Presbyterian Church. Hey, um, you know, make sure that you do this thing this week. I can't imagine today that happening. Uh, but we also have... Uh, we also have access today to things that we never we could do before. Uh, people, you, when you're on vacation, sometimes watch live streaming. Maybe there's people watching the live stream even from their, uh, from the, maybe from the Rockies. Maybe from the Rockies right now. That would be kind of interesting. I'm curious if anybody is watching from the Rockies right now. That would be kind of cool. Um, uh, but, you know, we have things to contribute. God's spirit is alive. So that makes me believe that God's mission hasn't died. So I know that there's something for us. There's things that are important for our church, this church, for you individually to engage with our world today. God kept you here till now because he wants to use you. So our job isn't just to keep the same things going that have always been going. Uh, Those things are really comfortable for me. But uh, my mission isn't to be comfortable. Our mission is to engage our world with the gospel. And we don't get to choose what that world looks like. But we do, what we do get to choose is that are we going to do everything in our power, everything that we can to help people to know this good news. If this news is this good, it means that the world needs to know it and to live into it. Everything in our power to proclaim that in a way that's really compelling, in a way that's winsome, that helps people to understand. Not the world as we think it should be, but engaging the world as it is. And it's super overwhelming, and you can see why I didn't want to be a pastor. (laughs) But here's the beautiful part. You know, I don't have to do it alone, and you don't have to do it alone. It's not for you to be the smartest and the best, because God's the smartest and the best. So what we have to do is partner together. We're in this thing together, and we're in it with God together. And that's the beautiful part. We have God himself dwelling in us. So in the face of danger, in the face of unexpected obstacles, in the face of all the challenges that you have in life today, I want to encourage us, you and me, to adventure in faith. Maybe God has a new adventure for you, and it's not the adventure you chose, right? But maybe you got to say, Well, I guess this is a new adventure now for me, whatever that may be. So in this next week, there is going to be some news, something on the news, or a revelation about your health, or some other thing that is going to elicit a fear response in you, and you're going to feel like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It kind of is. But here's the thing. It always has been. It's not new. When, when God was speaking through Isaiah about the Babylonians, it was going to hell in a handbasket. This is 2,700 years ago. So what we're called to do is embrace the adventure. And so before you freak out, you need to remember that you are not the savior of the world. Jesus is. We just get to be a part of it. But we get to be faithful witnesses. We are not powerless. We have the power of the God of the universe in us. So here's our next step, and it seems kind of dumb, actually, but in this next week, uh, when you perceive an obstacle, I want you to decide, and maybe even say to yourself, 
I am going to embrace the adventure of faith. I'm going to embrace the adventure of faith. I don't have control over this thing, but I know that God does. Because I need to forget the former things and not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's, those aren't things that we think can happen. And the reason why he does that, that they may proclaim my praise. So when we see God do that new thing, we're supposed to proclaim his praise and say, God, I didn't think you could do it, but you did it. And I, I think that this kind of wonder and adventure, it's got to help you in other places in your life. This is, this is important for our faith life, but it's got to affect other things in your life. Maybe, maybe God needs to do a new thing with you in your career. Uh, this is a new, or maybe even a new thing in your retirement. God's doing a new thing for you where you say, I perceived it this way and maybe there's something new. Maybe there needs to, we need to not look at the way that our marriage has gone, but God needs to bring something new there and we can pray for a new life in that area. Go into unknown territory. Maybe your parenting can't just live off the past, but maybe it needs to go into something new. I, I think that for all of these things, we need God's spirit and power to help us. Let's ask for that. Father, we ask you to help us because we are weak and we are powerless, but we know that you are strong, and we need to remind ourselves of that. Thanks that we have a church family of other people who remind us together. I I need to be here so I can be reminded that you are present, that you are active in our world. And when when I and all of us together look at the challenges of our world, we pray that we'll be people of prayer, and people of adventure, because your spirit is in us. May we see those challenges and not think of our own resources, but of your resources. And not just try to do what we did in the past, but to say, our mission is to bring the light of Jesus to this world. Not as we want it to be, but this world the way it is. May your, may your gospel transform our world, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.